Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. Writing a hit song is a miraculous and mysterious thing. Sometimes it comes totally naturally, and a classic song is written in like 20 minutes. That's how long it took Stevie Nicks to write Dreams. And yes, that's insanely fast, especially for a song that huge. And sometimes the process is torturous and takes months to get a song just right. It allegedly took Freddie Mercury six years to write Bohemian Rhapsody, which is a really, really long time. But no matter how long it takes or how hard it is to produce a masterpiece, chart-topping records are like gold dust. Artists are lucky to write even one song that breaks through and becomes a gigantic hit. The thing that's odd and fantastic about The Stranger is that it doesn't have one or two big songs. It's an album full of them. That's the crazy thing about it is like it's a greatest hits record. This is Bayside frontman Anthony Ranieri. It's hard to believe that all these songs were on one record, that he wrote this all consecutively. He wrote all these songs, like all in a short span of time in his life. It's like something clicked. Anthony's right. The Stranger is packed full of songs that are so well known, it seems absurd that they were all created at the same time. But the truth is, most of them are put together in the studio in a span of just three weeks. In this episode, we're taking a closer look at six of The Stranger's biggest songs, four top 40 hits and two fan favorites. We'll find out how Billy's storytelling prowess, the insights of his band and producer, some celebrity studio visitors, and even an unlikely assist from the Catholic Church all help to create an album full of classic songs that have been thrilling fans since 1977. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Adam Unz, and this is The Opus. Everyone said they were crazy. When do you know that you're much too lazy? And Eddie could never afford to live that kind of life. Oh, but there we were waving Brenda and Eddie goodbye. Songs on The Stranger are varied from a melodic and rhythmic standpoint. There are sharp pop hooks and soaring, heartfelt ballads. They're all totally unique, which is a part of The Stranger's lasting appeal. But the common thread running through all of them is incredible storytelling, super catchy melodies, and innovative studio techniques. That's clear straight away from the album's opening track, Movin' Out one of the two upbeat top 40 hits on the album, and a song that bowls over other musicians like Ben Folds. Moving Out is, it's just such clever, distinct songwriting, man. I mean, that shit's to die for. That pops into my head, I'd shit myself. Like, that's crazy. 
<laughs> it's time to retire. Like, that's just so fucking good. Anthony works in the grocery store. Is that all you get for your money? And it seems such a waste of time If that's what it's all about Mama, if that's moving up Then I'm moving out Moving Out is so vibrant and joyous. It's an amazing way to launch you into The Stranger. And it also includes one of the most iconic elements Billy ever recorded. Something that's made the song really stand out for many fans, including a young Anthony Carone from the Arkells. As a kid, I always thought the line in Moving Out when he's like, and he does that natural delay thing. But I always thought it was hilarious. Like I would end up on the floor in hysterics whenever my dad had that on. That natural delay effect is so recognizable that it's the easiest way to remind people of the song if they don't know it from the title. So you'd think that there was a lot of production expertise used to make that happen, right? Well, Billy wanted to produce the effect with studio wizardry, but Phil Ramone had other ideas. I actually wanted an echo machine to do that instead of me doing it. And I just saying to Phil, and it should go, and he goes, why don't you just do it? It's going to take four hours for us to get the exact sequencing on it. So I did. Things like this happen, like trying to explain what I was looking for, and Bill said, you just did it. It was that easy. Crazy, right? That simple little sonic innovation helped to make moving out really pop. But the real star of the show is its storytelling. It paints a vibrant picture of late 70s New York that really struck a chord with native New Yorkers like Bayside's Anthony Ranieri. I grew up there and lived in those places. I remember it, the music and the record itself, like going back to my earliest memories of music, but part of the lasting power for me now is that it brings me back to being a kid and going into all these smoke-filled, you know, restaurants on Mulberry Street. Listening to this record like takes me back to that. We knew people that moved out to Hackensack. We knew people who, who moved up and out and, you know, and you go to Long Island or you go to New Jersey because you made it, you know, so you go leave the city into like your suburban life in New Jersey. You know, I lived everything that he's talking about. It's pretty crazy. Billy pairs incredible narrative structures with bouncy melodies in a way that no other artist can. Sometimes people don't even notice the meaning of his lyrics because the songs are so frickin' catchy. On Only the Good Die Young, that lighter sound contrasted with some pretty controversial subject matter. Let's face it, a song about budding sexuality and Catholic schoolgirls was always gonna ruffle some feathers, and the original, slower version of the song didn't do much to pull focus from the heaviness of the lyrics. Come out Virginia, don't let me wait Catholic girls start much too But then, an unexpected superstar studio visitor encouraged a lighter, brighter sound stemming from Liberty DeVito's drumming. One day, Paul Simon came in. No, really, this actually happened. 
and we're doing only the good die young. And you know, originally Billy wrote this song as a reggae tune, and and I, I tell him it sucks. You know, the closest that he's ever been to Jamaica was the Long Island Railroad stops at Jamaica and Queens. So uh, we're trying to figure out what to do, and Paul Simon comes in and he's listening, and his his idea was. The lyric is so heavy because it actually kind of pushes down the Catholic Church and the way they think and stuff like that. Paul Simon said, because the lyric is so heavy, you should keep something very lighthearted and the lyric will just go over people's heads. So that's when I came up with the fast shuffle. Come out, Virginia, don't any wait. You Catholic girls start much too late. All the sooner or later, it comes down to fate. And so I started that, and Billy was like, "Okay, this feels good. This feels good." And that, that's how it turned out on the record. that clever camouflage? When the Catholic Church caught wind of it, they were not happy. Quite a few radio stations banned the song because of it. But, as Phil Ramon remembers, their disapproval actually gave the song a giant boost. And he went on Saturday Night Live and did Only the Good Die Young. As I told him, I got letters from the Archdiocese. I knew that something was good. <laughs> it wasn't what I wanted to read, but it, it obviously caused some kind of stirring. You know what happens when an authority figure tells kids they can't have something, right? They want it more! Only the Good Die Young nearly cracked the top 20, at least partially because of the Catholic Church's disapproval. And that wasn't the only song on The Stranger to hit a nerve with the listening public. The album's two hit ballads faced their own controversies. Especially She's Always a Woman. She can kill with a smile, she can wound with her eyes. And she can ruin your faith with her casual lies And she only reveals what she wants you to see She hides like a child, but she's always a woman to me the lyric is somewhat troubling. You know, some people said, oh, he's a misogynist. You know, look what he says about this woman. And he wrote this song called, She's Only a Woman, which always cracks me up every time I read it. I said, well, that's what you call it. That's not what I call it. To me, it's a very simple, understandable lyric. She may be that to you, but she's this to me. You know, so what's your problem? a woman to me. Whatever backlash those lyrics faced didn't stop She's Always a Woman's success. It hit number 17 in the Billboard Hot 100 charts. Once again, proving that controversy and success are not mutually exclusive. The album's other big ballad faced similar, albeit more muted, backlash too. And in a way, it kind of makes sense. She's Always a Woman and Just the Way You Are, both written about Billy's then-wife Elizabeth, are often seen as two sides of the same coin an idea that Ben Folds subscribes to. She's always a woman is written for a man. The sentimentality is very male. Just the way you are is something that a woman would like to hear a man say. Even though I would say he's more of a masculine writer, he rides the gender line nicely. If there's too much bro in a songwriter, I've never been into it. When I see those two songs, is they're balanced over the intuition that he's written one ballad that is 
for a man to sort of sing to himself while he's driving and crying. She's always the woman to me. And then just the way you are is like, you know, I guess I better send her a note. Whether that theory holds water or not is up for debate, but both of those songs clearly touched a lot of people. Just the Way You Are was the breakout song from The Stranger. It's the song that really put the album on the map and eventually shot up to number three in the charts. Quite an impressive feat for a song that Billy literally dreamt up. I had a dream, and, and then I remember waking up in the middle of the night going, this is a great idea for a song, and going back to sleep, and waking up and not remembering what I dreamt, and knowing, what was that? I had a really good idea. I had a really good idea, and I forgot. And a couple of weeks later, I'm in a business meeting. I was talking to accountants or lawyers. It's some kind of boring stuff. And the dream reoccurs to me right at that moment because I, my mind drifted off from hearing numbers and legal jargon. And boom, it came right back into my head. I said, I have to go. I have to go. Right now, I think I have an idea for a song. So the accountants and lawyers went, well, go, go, go. Yeah, 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 go. I ran home and I started playing the theme that had reoccurred. And on my way home, I was thinking, okay, how am I going to remember this? Da, 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 da. Don't be crazy. Don't be stupid. And they call bailout lyrics, but you have to use them to remember the notes, to remember the theme you sang. So I got home and I ended up writing it all in one sitting pretty much. It took me maybe about, I don't know, two or three hours. But um, yeah, I remember writing that very well. That's the mark of an artist who understands his own process. When inspiration strikes, you just have to drop everything and create. However, the finished song took quite a while to come together, and the tempo and feel of it changed dramatically, even after the band started playing it live. We had some difficulty finding what the drum pattern should be. I remember Liberty started playing it as a cha-cha, and we hated that. We hate that. Remember Liberty throwing his sticks, sticks, I don't want to be a cocktail lounge drummer. We said, we don't want you to either. Always have my unspoken passion Although I might not seem to care and Phil came up with that pattern that goes boom, that, boom, sort of a backwards Latin samba thing, which we wouldn't even have considered playing unless Phil came up with it. I just want someone that I can talk to. I want you just the way you are. Even after Just The Way You Are took its final shape, Billy and the band almost didn't put it on the album. The Stranger's biggest hit! The song that made Billy a superstar. The whole band thought it was a syrupy sweet, over-the-top love song. Which is... fair. And to be honest, Billy still believes that to this day. So it was very, very lucky that a couple of forward-thinking superstars happened to pop into the studio when the song's fate was being decided. We were sitting around, you know, we got a bunch of guys here. There was no girl in the band. It was just all guys. And we're listening back going, well, oh, do you like it? I don't know. It's a chick song. You know, none of us were all that hot to put it on the album. And then we were listening back again, and Phoebe Snow came by with Linda Ronstadt, and they heard the song. And they, we loved that song. We said, yeah, we don't like it. We're not sure we're going to put it on the album. And they said, you are crazy. you got to put that song on the album. We said, yeah, these girls like the song. I guess we should put it on the album. So we kept it on, thanks to them. Lucky save, right? Billy's songwriting skills are so innate that there were times when he couldn't identify their brilliance. He had this uncanny ability to dream up songs that spoke to people and pulled on their heartstrings. 
Vienna, a fan favorite and one of his most played songs, came to him almost as easily as Just the Way You Are had. Vienna is just kind of this bastard child that appeared out of nowhere, uh, popped out, and I just wrote it, and I said, this fits the mood of this album. Didn't even really know at the time why I wrote it. It just, boop, popped out. Slow down, you crazy child. You're so ambitious for a juvenile. But then if you're so smart, tell me why are you still so afraid? It was never a single, but it's become one of his most popular songs. When he offers a choice of Vienna or Just the Way You Are to his fans at his concerts, they always choose Vienna. Even Phil Ramone said there was something special about that song. Vienna is an incredible song. This generation now, the up-and-coming artists, ask me about that song more than anything. What does it mean? That's up to you, but it's, it's like most great songs, they're not always narratives of personal. Vienna's a state of mind, it's place, or it's not. Those are the three choices you have. It's fictional, or is it Vienna? That lyrical ambiguity is a big part of Vienna's appeal. Gen Z caught onto it, and it became hugely popular on TikTok as a mental health anthem. It's a pretty remarkable trajectory for an album track from the late 70s, and the song that served as The Stranger's centerpiece followed a similar path. A bottle of white A bottle of red Perhaps a bottle of rosé instead Get a table near the street In our old familiar place You and I face to face Scenes from an Italian restaurant is an epic song. Even though it was never a single, it's been a staple of Billy's live shows since he first started playing it. It takes you on this incredible, sweeping, almost musical theatery journey that's both exciting and moving. Singer-songwriter and musician Andrew McMahon has always been blown away by the size and scope of its songcraft. There was something about Seeds from an Italian Restaurant for me as a kid and as a piano player, just the adventurous nature of that track. It sort of speaks to why I love Billy Joel in general, which is just his willingness to tell a story and not be held back by sort of conventional wisdom about how long should a song be and can it have movements to be so unafraid to just dig into making a movie out of a piece of pop music, you know? And, and, and so for me, that was really the early favorite. Scenes from an Italian restaurant didn't just accidentally end up with an epic structure and runtime. It was completely by design. 
I had always admired the B-side of the album Abbey Road, which was essentially a bunch of individual songs that were strung together by George Martin. And that's pretty much what I did with the Instrument Italian Restaurant. I had this initial ballad of Brenda and Eddie. So it was this was about the high school prom, king and queen, you know, sweethearts who break up and they go on with their lives. And I said, okay, well, that's not the whole story. So I started with the premise of uh, a bottle of red, a bottle of white, set up a scene where there's people sitting in an Italian restaurant starting to talk about the old days. And then the second section of that is when the sax comes in, which is supposed to represent the time change. And then it goes into the ballad of Brenda and Eddie for it. So we realized this is kind of like trying to recreate side B of Abbey Road, except not as long, just in a shorter version. Ben Folds adores scenes from an Italian restaurant and sees it as Billy's version of the American experience. Scenes from an Italian restaurant is another real Billy Joel move in its epicness. It's kind of musical theater-ish in a way, you know? They're scenes probably more than stories. They imply stories. They're almost like Long Island's version of Norman Rockwell. You see pictures. Billy's fans form a unique bond with his songs. Whether he's telling sharp, highly detailed stories about his cast of New York characters, or whether he's painting with an impressionistic brush and leaving room for everyone to draw their own conclusions, fans and fellow musicians like Regina Spector have drawn so much inspiration from the broad emotional life packed into The Stranger's nine songs. He kind of has, in this record, either these like super deep emotional love things or like the sort of everyday life fuck you songs, you know? And I really love those two modes. Like they really speak to me personally. But when I listen to a lot of those melodies, it's like you go on this ride and you really enjoy, let's say the like the fuck you and fuck off and I'm gonna do things how I wanna do and like money's not where it's at and the stupid stuff, like don't get stuck in the stupid stuff and the material stuff of life that sort of really runs through all of his music. Then like a note will go somewhere and you'll get this like, I feel like it'll like hurt in this way where you're just like, oh, it's so beautiful and it's got this real bittersweetness. But I think that bittersweetness that you can't put your finger on, that sometimes it comes in a lyric and sometimes it's where it, like the melody goes to a certain note and it just kind of hurts and you get kind of teary. And that's him being a soulful person who's absorbed all of these complexities and all of these things and is really processing life through music. Billy's music is both so specific and so universal at the same time. The songs on The Stranger made him a superstar because everyone can understand and relate to the stories he tells, whether they share those exact experiences or not. As Ben Folds tells it, Billy's appeal boils down to this. I began to realize humbly that most of us have to admit we won't achieve over and over again the level of greatness in songwriting. Forget the awards and the charts and, and the sales just his craft. He's a genius. And who would disagree with that? On the next episode of The Opus, we're finishing out the season by taking a look at Billy Joel's career after The Stranger, the legacy of that incredible album, and of course, those legendary and ongoing concerts at Madison Square Garden. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Adam Unz, and this 
has been the Opus. expression from the music inspired me so much to take risk and it inspired damn near the whole rap game hello again i'm adam uns you may know me as the host of the opus and now i'm bringing my own show the spark parade to the consequence podcast network i speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity whether it's music books movies video games or any other kind of art i've never spoke about it in this amount of detail i'm suddenly going oh my god i'm blowing my own mind here prices it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Obers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts.